Well, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and hopefully you uh, you did tune in at the right starting time for the terrestrial release. Yeah, I know, it's tough. I mean, with daylight savings time, excuse me, daylight saving time is the official name, uh, taking place for most of the country. We have a couple of Bottom Line listeners who listen on the K-Bright app in Arizona. So uh, we're on, I think we're on an hour later for you. Um, but anyway, uh, of course, you could solve the problem by just listening on demand. Get the K-Bright app, KLDC app, KCBC app. Um, you can listen on My Hope Now. Use that app as well and uh, listen on demand whenever you want to. But uh, uh, anybody will have to do a call-in survey on this at some point on whether or not you think daylight saving time should be the standard, whether or not standard time should be the standard. But if you are definitely in the category of pick one and stay with it, um, I'm all in favor of pick one and stay with it. I really don't care if it's daylight saving time or if it's standard time. Just stay with one, okay? Anyway, but boy, talk about the changing time and the changing times. Uh, we had a bombshell that happened uh, late last Friday, and of course then there were more announcements over the weekend regarding Silicon Valley Bank or Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, and New York-based Signature Bank, Two regional banks that closed. Now, when you think about regional banks versus the majors, there's the big four, right? There's Bank of America, there's Wells Fargo, there's Chase, and I don't remember the fourth one. Is that Citicorp or I, whatever it is? I mean, there were there was a lot of merging and consolidating that happened during the last big banking disaster. But the news that Silicon Valley Bank was shutting down, or being, I should say, was shut down uh, by the state of California on Friday. Uh, obviously sent shockwaves all throughout the uh, the banking world, and uh, not only the banking world, but the financial world as well. And, and this is a huge thing for us to understand as believers, the fact that um, there are so many people who potentially will be damaged by Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, just to put this in perspective, Silicon Valley Bank is one of the top 20 commercial banks in the United States, Okay. Uh, they had over $200 billion in assets. And they had customers like Shopify and Fitbit, ZipRecruiter, uh, Etsy, Roku. I mean, they, they did a lot of corporate business. Now, the banks will run ads all the time saying, hey, mom and dad, we want your business. We want your retirement money. Start a savings plan for your kids, blah, blah, blah. They don't make any money on you. They make money on these big corporations that run their payrolls through here, that have hundreds of thousands of dollars passing through, if not millions of dollars all the time, who do big commercial real estate, et cetera, et cetera. That's where they make money on. They make a few bucks off your loan. But typically, from what I understand, uh, if you do a home loan with, uh, say, Union Bank or something like that, which is now becoming part of U.S. Bank, um, they'll do the loan. You pay a point or two to get the, which is 1% of the total value of the loan. The banks make that money. They put that in their pocket. Then they bundle up your loan with every other loan they ran that month or that week or whatever it is. And they sell it to other investors and the mutual funds buy them. And that's the way the money goes. But what we see, the facade out in front, is I take my hard-earned money to the bank and put it in the bank and this, that, and the other thing. Well, Silicon Valley Bank failing is, is huge for a couple different reasons. Let's put this in perspective. I mentioned it was the second largest commercial bank failure in American history. When you take the $200 billion plus in assets that Silicon Valley Bank had and now is declared to be insolvent, and then Signature Bank in New York had another $100 million. These are regional banks. 
They don't have a ton of branches. I believe Silicon Valley Bank, when it was closed, wound up with, what, 17 different branches operating in five different states. I originally, the original uh, uh, reporting from Fox and MSNBC, CNN, said that they were in two states. They were in California and Massachusetts. But there's a very strong possibility that if you're a bottom line listener, you at least had the opportunity to bank at Silicon Valley Bank because in addition to Santa Clarita, Palo Alto, uh, Napa, you know, places in NorCal where you would expect a company called Silicon Valley Bank to actually be. They also had branches in Los Angeles, San Diego, Irvine, giving you some Orange County, Pasadena, Santa Monica, uh, Denver, of course, for our KLDC audience, in addition to uh, Northeast Washington, uh, Arizona, and, of course, the aforementioned Massachusetts. So when you look at this bank that was failing, and I say was failing, this is a company that had investments in other companies. So the companies would invest in Silicon Valley Bank, which had reorganized as SVB, whatever enterprises, and then they would invest in other mutual funds and assets and things like that. It was about a week ago that SVB Bank wrote off losses in mutual funds of $20 billion with a B dollars. That's 10% of their current assets. Don't you think that should have gotten somebody's attention in the federal government? One would hope. One certainly would hope. But why did this happen and how did this happen? Well, first and foremost, the most important thing, of course, is if there are bottom line listeners who are impacted by SV Bank going under or it, you know any just American citizens who are getting hammered by this, you know what happens. If a bank fails, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC, guarantees certain deposits up to a certain amount. With all the major banks, all of your deposits are FDIC insured. And during the last uh, meltdown of the banking industry back in 2008, uh, FDIC insurance went from $100,000 if you had a, say you had a hundred grand in a certificate of deposit account at a bank. If the bank failed, then there was a deposit. I mean, no one wants a run on the banks like we had after Black Friday back in the 1929 stock market crash. Because if the banks don't have enough cash, then that creates all sorts of havoc. If someone thinks they have $1,000 in the bank and they could only get 15 bucks out, that puts a pretty serious hurt on the overall economy. So the FDIC, the federal government, Treasury Department, Federal Reserve, they all have a vested interest in making sure that, the, that you and I still have our money in the bank. But the regional banks don't always have a lot of accounts that are FDIC insured. Sometimes you'll go to a big bank like a Bank of America and they'll have some investment pro uh, product available. And it'll say, this is not insured by the FDIC. It's a third party type of thing. It's a mutual fund that doesn't fall under that jurisdiction. Not all of the accounts at SVB or in Signature Bank were insured by the FDIC. So the federal government does have to do a bit of a bailout of sorts to make sure that they are doing what they're supposed to do. Now, if you're a, a regular investor, if you had money in SVB Bank, and again, this is not to point fingers, if you had, say, a certificate of deposit or just a regular passbook checking or savings account where you like to keep some money in the bank because you never can tell, let me ask you a question. Have you called Dennis Wilson at Wilson Financial Advisors yet? And here's the reason why I say it. When you put money into a bank, 
account. And right now the banks are, you know, cash is kind of at a premium. So some banks are saying, hey, you know what? I get the ads all the time. They pop up on my phone. You want to earn 5%? You want to earn 6%? Hey, here's your, come on over to our capital group that isn't backed by anything. It's just basically a Ponzi scheme. And if we get enough people to give us enough money, then we can tell you you're going to get 9% or 12% or whatever. And hopefully you will. Or you can take that same money. Let's say it's $50,000 that you had in a certificate of deposit. You have to tie it up for five years to get maybe three to 4% interest. But there's fees that are associated with that, with the bank. And if you try to take the money out earlier than five years, you pay a penalty. If you call Dennis Wilson at Wilson Financial Advisors right now, you don't have to worry about a Silicon Valley bank situation happening to you. Here's why. Take that same fifty dollars or $100,000 that you had at a certificate of deposit at a bank like Silicon Valley Bank. And you call Dennis and say, hey, I need to generate a return. I mean, I'd like to get 5 6%, but I need to make sure that I don't lose any money. The first order of business with Dennis, there's always some risk involved in investments, but when it comes to your principal, he has so many different products, if not all of them that I'm aware of, that all have a 100% guarantee that your principal balance will never go down. Number one. Number two, the rate of return historically, I mean, I can't guarantee anything out of a crystal ball. The rate of return historically on these accounts has been in the four, five, six percent range. He has a real estate backed investment similar to a real estate investment trust that guarantees you a six percent return for three years. Take that to the bank. You put $100,000 in that account, you're going to earn $6,000 in interest every year for three years. $500 check mailed to your home or deposited in your account every single month. Yeah, I mean, it's that rock solid. How about the CD alternative accounts where you see your money grow at four or five? I've seen some of them as you know in the twos and threes. I've seen some as high as the nines and tens that also have a long-term health care benefit that also have guaranteed income and retirement that also have a death benefit that exceeds a standard life policy. See, your bank can't do that. And especially now that the banking industry just got shooken up once again, a big old shakeup in the banking industry because of the second largest bank. These are regional banks. Now, if your money's in a big ticket bank, you don't have anything to worry about. But if you're in a regional bank, because you thought you might get better interest or you thought it might be a little more renegade, I highly recommend you call Dennis Wilson at Wilson Financial Advisors right now and say, I need to get my money out of my regional bank or even my big bank and into a better investment that's more secure. The, the 4D money option is good. The 3D money option is good. There are phenomenal reasons to call Dennis Wilson's team right now. 800 696 9970 is the number to get you through to Wilson Financial Services. Don't let something like the Silicon Valley Bank implosion ruin your retirement. Trust Dennis Wilson and Wilson Financial Advisors to put you in secure standing. 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, how did this happen? Why did this happen? Get some expert analysis from a guy who has a reputation for being uh, kind of a big mouth when it comes to media, 
But when it comes to business, he seems to know his stuff. Mark Cuban weighs in on the SVB uh, issue, the, the second largest bank failure in American banking history. Plus, we're going to take a look at three letters that could define why Silicon Valley Bank had the best intentions. But you know what they say, go woke, go broke. How did that happen? With no political animus whatsoever, just looking strictly at market conditions. We'll see why this might have happened to Silicon Valley Bank, second largest bank failure in American banking history. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good to have you along today tough day in the financial world, especially if you were a customer of Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank, along with Signature Bank, have now, uh, they rank number two and number three in the largest bank failures in American history. Um, Bank of New England, uh, Ro Khanna, who's a uh, uh, Democrat congressman from the Silicon Valley, uh, was on one of the talk shows over the weekend, and he was talking about uh, how he was frustrated with the uh, administration's lack of doing anything. He was on, uh, uh, what program was it? Beat the Press, uh, one of those, <laughs> one of them shows. And he, he said, look, we need to see the, um, it was Face the Nation, excuse me. Um, we've got the transcript that we'll put up at thebottomlineshow.com. But basically he was asking, you know, why did this, I mean, you know, you're, uh, you represent the district where the Silicon Valley Bank used to be headquartered. Uh, what do you think of the Treasury Secretary's remarks? He was asked, and he said, well, I have great respect for the Treasury Secretary, but I think we need to have more clarity and greater strength in what the Treasury is saying. First, the principle needs to be that all depositors will be protected. And then they talk about the FDIC thing. And he says, yes, Chairman Jerome Powell used to be at the Tech Department of Treasury in 1991. That's when the Bank of New England collapsed. And he said the Treasury coordinated with the FDIC and every insured depositor was protected. Now, what's interesting about this is he goes on to talk about the companies and there's payroll involved. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are getting their checks drawn on Silicon Valley Bank. And so they can't get paid and it screws up the economy. And I totally understand it. But who are these companies? I mean, who is actually at risk here? I mean, we're talking about Silicon Valley Bank one of the top 20 commercial banks in the U.S., over $200 billion in assets. By the way, number one was the failure of Washington Mutual. 
Washington Mutual went under in uh, 20, 2008, and they were at nearly $400 billion. There was a big bailout that went on there. And as a former customer of Washington Mutual, I can honestly say that the FDIC stepped in and we didn't have any problems whatsoever. So, I mean, they, they did work it out. But Silicon Valley Bank is a place where Shopify does their banking, uh, Roku, Fitbit, if you ZipRecruiter. The, these companies bank and they put their money in investments. And it's amazing how these companies were there and how did they get hoodwinked, so to speak. Well, I'll tell you what. It's funny. Janet Yellen, President Biden, they all try to say, look, one regional bank isn't going to cause a nationwide catastrophe. Well, trust me, Washington Mutual was a regional bank that wound up causing a nationwide catastrophe. And part of the reason why there's a concern about the types of investments that Silicon Valley Bank made was something called ESG. ESG criteria that guide the investment world. They're a set of standards for a company's behavior used by, and this is from Avestopedia, socially conscious investors. The idea is that they would be working hard to screen potential investments. Now, let me, let me assure you, when you contact a company like Dennis Wilson, Wilson Financial Advisors, you can rest assured that Dennis is doing his homework and making sure that the investments that you are investing in are not supporting abortion and murder and burning churches and stuff like that. Quite the opposite. Not only are the companies on the up and up, but Wilson Financial invests a good percentage of the proceeds that they earn from your investments into building churches, into uh, sustaining African pastors and people who don't have the, the means to. I mean, it costs about $10,000 to build a church in Africa and a Sunday school, like 7,000 for the church building, 3,000 for the Sunday school. And it's amazing how many churches they're able to build every month based on investments that people like you and me make into products that are endorsed by Wilson Financial. So companies do have a conscience. And it's remember when Mitt Romney was running against Barack Obama in 2012, the election, and then there's the whole, the, the left was, well, Mitt Romney says that companies have souls. And we all know that corporate capitalism does have any soul. Well, there's a whole new market that's come up, the ESG crowd. And it stands, it stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance Investing. And it's a set of standards that literally these self-proclaimed progressives have adopted as their way of saying, this is how we screen potential investments. We want to make sure how companies safeguard the environment. We want to make sure that they have corporate policies addressing climate change. We want to make sure that the company manages relationships with employees and suppliers and customers and the communities where they operate. That's code for saying we are very LGBTQ friendly. We are very, very concerned with whatever is politically expedient for us on the progressive side of the equation to the point where sometimes, in this case, it may have been you know, one of those situations where they were so busy making sure that they were, quote unquote, protecting gay people or transgender people or climate loving people that they made lousy investments. I mean, the green technology 
that we've been promised as the savior to end all saviors. We've seen this happen from President 44's administration. All the investment in wind and geothermal and things like that have not turned out to be profitable at all. All you have to do is say Solyndra and think about the $500 million that they lost in guaranteed. I mean, the government has been losing billions of dollars in green investments for years. Well, the government could just keep, Federal Reserve keeps printing more money. They call it quantitative easing. But what about us? If you invest in a company and it loses money, you lose money. Simply put, ironically, this ESG mentality is supposed to provide better internal controls, better audits, better shareholder rights upheld, and supposed to function on the level of saying, hey, company leadership, executive pay. I mean, we got to pay attention to this. Meanwhile, Silicon Valley Bank is sitting here basically raiding the piggy bank of all their investors, writing off $20 billion in bad investments while simultaneously handing out bonuses to all their corporate executives. And oh, by the way, their chairman dumped about $3.6 billion worth of bank stock right before California investigators came in and shut the bank down. They've got a lot of splaining to do for sure. But will it be enough? And are there any, uh, well, are there any other possibilities for making something right? Well, none other than Mark Cuban weighed in on Twitter earlier today with regard to what he would recommend, seeing, uh, you know, there are so many red flags. He said, how many startups have time to research their uh, HTM versus equity ratios of the banks they borrow from and are required to hold funds for? One of the questions that Mark Cuban asked, I want to read this thread on the other side of this break, talking about Silicon Valley Bank and, you know, why he thinks that the federal government should have done more to keep this from happening. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we are taking a cursory, I wouldn't even call it a 35,000-foot view of the Silicon Valley Bank debacle. Uh, this is more like a lunar uh, satellite flying over planet Earth and looking down. Uh, I do have some business background from many, many years ago in school, armchair economist here. But if you had money invested in Silicon Valley Bank, I could tell you a couple things. First of all, Silicon Valley Bank in California and Signature Bank in New York being shut down uh, this weekend make them the second and third largest bank collapses in American banking history, uh, only uh, trailing Washington Mutual. And putting it in today's dollars, the Washington Mutual meltdown of 2008, uh, you would have to take uh, 
the uh, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank of New York and put them together and they still would be $100 billion short of how bad the damage was from the uh, Washington Mutual meltdown. I've been stressing giving Dennis Wilson a call. If you have money and certificate of deposit in any bank, you've got to call Dennis, get it out of the bank and put it into safe market investing. And Dennis can specialize, uh, does specialize on how to protect your money, 800-696-9970. Don't just take my word for it. My parents have benefited from Dennis's wisdom. My sister has. Dozens, if not hundreds, of K-Bright listeners over the years have benefited from taking their certificate of deposit in the bank, withdrawing all that money, and putting it into one of Dennis's CD alternatives or a REIT alternative like the 6% account. If you've got a 401k, got an IRA, that it, there was a 19% drop in the stock market last year. This bank failure estimates are coming in. We'll drop in the market another 20% this year. If you can't afford that kind of haircut and you want to make sure that your money doesn't go down, you have a guarantee that it won't go down and it will improve at better than market rates, which is anything because the stock market's going to go down 20%. Give Dennis a call, 800 696 9970. Mark Cuban, a couple of thoughts. Number one, he says $250,000 for FDIC is too low. It's insane that a small company with $2.5 million in payables and payroll at the end of the month would be prudent and split their cash across 10 different banks in the case of a run. The fees and administration will be crazy, but it's a good deal for the banks. Second, where were the regulators? They're supposed to watch and warn. Third, can't wait to see how many people yanked their money, told others to, and shorted the stock. Four, will the number of employees that aren't paid this week lead to a multiple of that number not being paid in two weeks? Five, the Fed should immediately buy all the securities debt the bank owns at near par, which should be enough to cover most of the deposits. Any losses paid for in equity and new debt from the new bank or whoever buys it, the Fed knew this was a risk. They should own it. Six, if they don't, trust the banking system becomes an issue. Uh, there will be a ton of banks with more than 50% uninsured deposits. What would be the best practices to protect them if your company writes checks in millions every week? And this is not a bailout. Mark Cuban says the Fed effectively is providing cash to end the run and in return getting long-dated assets that will pay at maturity. And for the risk asserts, uh, this should be offered some positive return as well. Silicon Valley Bank didn't buy failing assets. No run and they survive. And then he says, and for the record, I have zero funds there, although several of my portfolio companies do, probably all at about 8 to $10 million, and I will help them. But it's the other $200 billion, and how many other employees and vendors, I'm concerned about them. Father, we pray for your hand of provision and protection in this area here for those who've been impacted by this banking calamity. But help us to remember that ultimately we need to be wise with our investments and not just blindly trust large financial institutions. Help us to be good stewards of what you entrust to us, large or small. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, big news in the financial world here, but good news with regard to music and praise and one of America's cherished uh, Christian praise and worship leaders. Bill Gaither is coming to Southern California. On the other side of this break, his longtime guitarist, Kevin Williams, joins me to talk about the concerts, and you get a chance to win some tickets, too. That's all coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. 
Well, today on The Bottom Line Show, a special guest joining us and going to have a conversation about something you've been hearing us talk about here on The Bottom Line Show for the past couple of weeks. Bill Gaither is coming to town, the Gaither Vocal Band, the Gaither Band itself. Anytime you get a chance to hear Bill Gaither music, it's wonderful. But when you get to hear it performed by Bill Gaither's group, it's even better. Coming up Friday, uh, March the 17th, St. Patrick's Day at Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena. Saturday, March the 18th at Big Calvary, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And then Sunday, March the 19th, at Shadow Mountain Church, Dr. David Jeremiah's Church in San Diego. Kevin Williams of the Gaither Band is with me today here on The Bottom Line, and we're going to talk about the upcoming band. Kevin Williams, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you. It's good to be with you, Roger. I'm so excited I called you David, but that's okay, because I'm, I'm sure there's a there's a perfectly biblical explanation for that. Having I've got a son and a son-in-law named Kevin, so I mean, I should I should have that ingrained in my memory right now. And I should remember the name Kevin Williams, because Bill Gaither has been making music basically since the time of Methuselah, and yet Kevin Williams yeah. has been a part of the Gaither band for, I don't want to say equally as long, but Kevin, you've got a pretty, you've got a good tenure running with Bill and his team. Talk about it. This has been amazing. December was 30 years for me wow. Uh, wow. with the Gaithers, and I, I'm i just blown away. Um, we did a concert last night, and uh, and it's always like the first time for me. I, I just walk out there. The people, um, you, you know, I've, I've literally seen generations change in the audience, and, and I remember couples who used to come, and now their kids come, and the couples have uh, gone on to heaven and uh you, you know and i can't imagine how many times bill has seen that uh kind of change as well so uh very gratifying to see multi-generational you know families uh who come and enjoy worshiping together and enjoy the gaither music and uh, and and enjoy the programs and yeah to still be doing this at 30 years in is pretty amazing for a guitar player from kentucky so I'm i was going to say you know that's the only other guitar player i know from kentucky who's been working that long is stephen curtis chapman and he has to really hustle to get out there and do that kind of stuff but how did you get connected he's amazing with isn't he though? How did you get connected, Kevin, with the Gaithers? Because I know a lot of times we, we see the vocalists come and go as long as there's some familiar faces, we're okay. Sure. But when it comes to the band, when when the vocal presence is so strong, oftentimes if you'd seen the Gaithers a couple of times, you may not you know pick up and for, till a couple of years into it, uh, you know you know Kevin's the guitar player. Oh, Talk nobody about cares that. about the band. Nobody <laughs> nobody cares. Uh, no, I it, you know, I, I just came as a guitar player. I, I moved to Nashville in the 80s uh, mm-hmm. for the music business. I wanted to be a session musician and, and play on the recording projects for people and uh, also wanted to produce and that kind of thing, which I've done. Uh, I, a lot of times you, you hear uh, somebody playing behind an artist and uh, you don't know who that is and, and sort of don't right. think about it, don't care. Uh, and chances are, uh, over the last 30 years, you, you've probably heard me on, you know, playing behind different artists. Um, and, uh, that's, that's very gratifying to me. I, I enjoy, uh, helping an artist create a style, you know, or adapting to their style, being a little bit of a chameleon and, and, uh, that kind of thing. So, um, I got subbed in on a, uh, Gaither session. Mr. Gaither was coming to town to, um, produce a record in 92, I guess it was. And, um. Uh, I was a guitar player on the record, and I met him. He was a hero of mine anyway. And, and uh, he uh, he and I hit it off, uh, namely through humor. He's got such a great sense of humor. And, and uh, you know, I, I love telling stories and picking at people, and he, he loves that too. So and we, we kind of bonded there. And then I got called to do another record and another record. And then I got a call that said, hey, do you want to go out with the Gator vocal band? Um, and I said, well, I'll have to pray about it. Yeah, I think I'll do it. So, um, that was literally the way that came down. And then, uh, 
you fast forward 30 years and I'm talking to you, Roger. It's just, uh, it's, it's been the Lord's hand in my life. And uh, for that, I'm so eternally grateful. Now, Kevin Williams is with me today here on The Bottom Line, the guitarist, and from what I understand from your bio, the resonant funny guy with Bill and Gloria Gaither, which I love the fact that you are, you know, you've got a great sense of humor. You really have a street named after you, Kevin Williams? Oh, I, how'd you find that? So Kevin Williams <laughs> Way uh, is is in my hometown. Um, I, I am from a small town of 2,500 people in Kentucky. Uh, the town is Russell Springs, most beautiful spot on earth. Love and, it. um, uh, I was a kid that had a lot of help growing up. Uh, I was I grew up in poverty, so uh, always had a lot of neighbors and church family, you know, helping meet the needs. And um, because the culture is different uh, in this day and time, and and the needs are different, uh, a lot of kids go over, overlooked. They're just invisible kids. And um, so I formed a little uh, charity back in 2014 called Kevin's Kids, and the whole community comes together, and we. Um, help raise money and get in these kids' lives. And um, somewhere in the process of all that, my my hometown was kind enough to name. Uh, it's actually the street that leads to the high school. There's one high school in the county, and it's mm -hmm. the street that leads there. So I, I thought that was really uh, sweet, and I, I value that. Uh, it's, it's a tremendous honor. Uh, Kevin Williams, guitarist uh, with the Gaither Vocal Band, uh, on tour right now. And I should also mention, too, for our KCBC listeners, uh, on Thursday, March 16th, they'll be at the People's Church in Fresno. And then those dates I mentioned, Friday, uh, March 17th at Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena, Saturday at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa in Anaheim, and then Sunday the 19th at Dr. David Jeremiah's Church. You hear him on Turning Point every weekday here on our Bottom Line Show affiliates. And uh, that's at Shadow Mountain Community Church. You pick. You could not have picked three better spots in Southern California, Kevin, to actually be performing. <laughs> um, what are some of the? There are a lot of people who obviously are diehard Gaither fans. Any chance you guys are in town, they're going to go see. But what is going to be special? I mean, kind of give us a preview without you know doing a spoiler yeah. alert. What's a preview of the show going to be like? Oh, you know, uh, in, in thirty years, the one thing that I've seen so consistently is that uh, people come in uh, with their you know, just, just the baggage from their week, right? We, we kind of, uh, get burdened down and, and, uh, you, you bring all that together because we're people. And, uh, then I see them leave lighter and more encouraged and more uplifted and blessed by the evening. And, uh, I see them sing together and laugh together and just enjoy, um, worshiping, uh, corporately. So, uh, that's always, whether it's been a church venue or a big arena or, you know, uh, or the Sydney Opera House or Carnegie Hall, I've seen that happen time, time again. And, uh, that's very gratifying. So I don't, I don't, uh, expect it to be any different in California. I think we're going to come together, going to lift his name up. We're going to enjoy a lot of songs that we know and, uh, some songs that we probably never heard before. The tour is called the dark of the night, the brighter, the light. And uh, that is a song, a brand new song from Bill and Gloria Gaither that uh, um, America is catching on to now, you know, uh, basically saying the little song that we learned when we were kids, this little light of mine, mm -hmm. I'm going to let it shine. Mm -hmm. um, that's the best way to dispel the darkness is to let your light shine and let him Amen. operate through you uh, to your community. So um, uh, I think you're going to enjoy that. I think you're going to see artists like the vocal band, uh, Lady Love Smith, Gene McDonald, and of course myself and the band, everybody's going to be there. Uh, there's some element of it that's going to be musically pleasing to you and then um, just uplifting as well. So uh, come out and be with us. Gaither.com uh, is probably the best way to get tickets. They uh, tell me 
once you get on there and you click the uh, uh, particular date, you're just a couple of clicks away from having your seat. So uh, that's the best way. And, and uh, come be a part of this very special evening with soon to be 87 years old. Wow. Uh, Bill Gaither. That's Isn't amazing. That it is, it is nuts, and that's G-A-I-T-H-E-R.com if you're Googling along that's with right. this at home. Kevin Williams is the guitar player with the Gaither Band, and they're going to be in concert four times in uh, California, three here in the Southland that we are giving away tickets for here at TheBottomLineShow.com and at KBrightRadio.com. Uh, you guys going to be on the road for Bill's 87th birthday? Is that what I heard you say, Kevin? Uh, I, You know what? I haven't checked the schedule yet, it's, so I think... I think his birthday is the 23rd, so I actually okay. don't think we're working on that day. Okay. Um, but we have been before. I remember one particular. We were in a very small market, and uh, way to go way to celebrate your birthday here, you know. Yeah. But uh, they celebrate very simply. I mean, they will literally go out to Applebee's and you know <laughs> order like an appetizer. Okay, that's uh-huh, the big deal. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's watch this uh, couple in their 80s who have cared so much, brought so much uh, to Christian culture, to the church, over uh, 800 songs probably in that amount of time. They, they have uh, been awarded the Songwriters of the 20th Century Award, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and they, they'll keep it very simple. They still live in the same house that they lived in when they got married and they were teaching wow. public school. Mm-hmm. Isn't that wow. something? That's incredible. There's a lot to be said for that. And the fact that they've kept that home base kind of symbolic of their faith, and yet they've toured the world, they've impacted hundreds of millions of people with their songs, the television specials, and and the live concerts. And now in a time where a lot of people would be saying, okay, that's it, we're done. They're saying, hey, we had two years where we couldn't get out and be with people. Let's go lead worship, and let's go continue to have these events. And and Kevin Williams, we're so grateful <clears throat> that you've been busy, so busy, keeping busy with all these dates, you know, and uh, keeping people not only entertained, but encouraged with these great praise gatherings. It, what you bring up is valid, uh, you know, at a time when they are enjoying the grandkids uh, and could easily say, you know, hey, uh, this, this is all we're going to do. Uh, they write songs about this period of life where they are enjoying the grandkids. And then they share those songs, you know. So uh, that's definitely their calling in life is to communicate through this art and uh, through the music and, and the you know, keep the message in the music. Um, and I'm glad. I, I hope they continue to do it until God calls them home. And I, every time I go out on stage with Mr. Gaither, uh, you know, of course, they were both school teachers, but I feel like the class clown uh, in the teacher's <laughs> class there, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I still learn every night. He's a great coach and friend, and uh, I certainly wouldn't miss this opportunity to see uh, an almost 87-year-old legend uh, in person. And yeah. he's just... Uh, you know, he if he's got a ketchup stain on his shirt, he just walks out there with it. It's the funniest thing I, I, I've ever seen. He, he is so uh, not preoccupied with the peripherals. He he is oh, about you know he's very focused and about the message. I love it. I think that's great. Well, Kevin Williams, we appreciate the time that you've shared with us today, encouraging us for these three events that are coming up on Friday, March 17th, Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena, Saturday, March 18th, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and Sunday, March 19th, Lake Avenue, uh, 
excuse me, Lake Avenue's Friday. It's Shadow Mountain on Sunday the 19th in San Diego, Dr. Right. David Jeremiah's church. We'll put the link for gaither.com up at thebottomlineshow.com for more information about how to get tickets. But Kevin Williams, thank you for the work that you guys are doing on the road. And thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate the God visit. bless you, Roger. I appreciate you and The Bottom Line and the work you're doing. Thank you so much. And uh, we hope to see everybody there. God bless you. Well, great to meet you, Kevin, as well. And we look forward to seeing you this coming weekend. Actually, uh, for our KCBC audience that's listening as well, there's a fourth date that we uh, didn't mention. I want to mention it here. But uh, we have tickets for the last three California dates that are coming up on the tour. The Gaither Vocal Band and the Bill Gaither Band and the trio and everything are all coming to California on Thursday night, uh, April, excuse me, March 16th in Fresno. And then Friday... March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, at Lake Avenue uh, Church in Pasadena. Saturday, right in our own backyard here by the KBRT studios, uh, it's the Gaithers at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, Saturday, March 18th. And then Sunday, uh, the 19th of March, head on down to San Diego. David Jeremiah's church, Shadow Mountain Church, is where the Gaithers will be performing. We have a pair of tickets each for each of the days. Okay? One pair of tickets to give away for each of the days. And if you ask real nicely, the girls might be able to come up with a second pair. Not for you, but I mean, if we, we only have one pair. Here's the way we're going to work this. 800-227-5278. Usually it's Movie Monday and we give tickets to a movie. This is a live concert, okay? Full band, orchestra, singers, the whole shot. So this is better than a movie for Movie Monday. Uh, give us a call, 800-227-5278. The, the tickets we have performances for are one in Pasadena on Friday night, one in Costa Mesa on Saturday night, one in San Diego on Sunday night. We will be giving you tickets for the winners of each of those three pair of tickets for the the show that's closest to where you are. Okay, So if you're calling from Palmdale and you want to go to San Diego, we're probably going to send you to Pasadena instead. All right, Just that's kind of keep it geographically fair. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And again, as I mentioned earlier, um, this is our movie Monday, and we're going to have a live-action movie of the Gaithers in concert. And uh, the, the tickets are here at the studio. You need to find, figure out a way to pick those up. But I encourage you to check out this live entertainment and see Kevin Williams playing the guitar in the Gaither Band coming up this weekend. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. One pair of tickets for each of these performances, Friday, March 17th, Saturday, March 18th, Sunday, March 19th. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Culver will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Stephanie Cover, 
She knows the other side. My thanks again to Kevin Williams, the guitarist, extraordinaire, and 30-year veteran of touring with Bill and Gloria Gaither. He's on the road with them once again, and they are coming to Southern California on Friday, March 17th at Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena, Saturday, March 18th, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, Sunday, March 19th at uh, Shadow Mountain Church in San Diego. By the way, for those of you who call and like to win, 800-227-5278, we have a pair of tickets for each of those performances. One pair for Friday night, the 17th, one uh, pair for Saturday, the 18th, and one pair for Sunday, the 19th. And if you're going Saturday or Sunday, Crystal and Teresa are going to be there too with some K-Bright swag and bottom line show stuff, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So highly recommend you go for another reason just to meet them. 800-227-5278. Call and get those tickets now while we still have them. You know, Kevin mentioned that Bill Gaither will be turning 87 years of age on this tour. And I thought to myself, self, that's Wow, that's incredible. It's amazing to see people living as long as they are and are still in good physical health. And, of course, we know the emotional and spiritual side of the Gaither's life is uh, pretty remarkable. This is a couple who still, from what I understand, from what Kevin said, uh, the, the first home they bought when they were both school teachers back in Anderson, Indiana, all those years ago, they still live there. And I remember meeting Gloria Gaither probably 20, 25 years ago at a booksellers convention. She had written a book. And she was running a Christian bookstore. And I thought, this is crazy. I mean, the Gaithers were doing the homecoming series. You know, they had the videos and the music. And and it was just remarkable to me how I kind of got the feeling, okay, Bill is like the art and the passion of this. This is stuff that he really loves and just enjoys. And Gloria seemed a little more, I mean, she's a good singer and, you know, they're a nice effervescent couple. But I kind of got the sense that she was more of the, the business side. But something that they said or that she said in our conversation about um, the ministry and why, but then it had lasted as long as it had. And she said, well, you know, we just, Bill gets these words from God and he just has this idea of, wouldn't it be great if we sang these old hymns? Wouldn't it be great if we did this? And he's the guy who told the legendary Christian singer, Carmen, one time, Carmen was asking him, how do you write songs? How do you come up with this material? He said, well, I start with a title and the title has to be one of two things. Either something that you would run up to the highest mountain and shout it with every ounce of your being or something where you would pull someone close to you and you would whisper so intently that you, they couldn't not pay attention. Like, I've just seen Jesus! Or because he lives, or something like that. And I thought, boy, that's brilliant. These guys, uh, th- th- this couple really gets it together. But then I thought about the the age factor. I mean, Bill Gaither's gonna be 87 on this trip. <laughs> He's gonna be 87 years of age. And like Kevin Williams, their guitar player said, yeah, they'll probably go to Cracker Barrel and just have a little dessert and it's not that big a deal. They don't make a big deal out of this type of stuff. And I thought, well, isn't it interesting how I remember growing up as a kid, once your pastor turned 60, they were trying to throw him out the door. Well, the Gaithers still... Um, <laughs> still going strong on the road at age 87, but I got one who's going to do them one better. North Carolina preacher Roy Jernigan. This is a guy who has been sharing the gospel for years and years. As a matter of fact, he served as a missionary on Indian reservations across the country for nearly half a century, 52 years. He recently resigned from full-time duties as a pastor in LaGrange, Texas. He went to uh, well for, to go visit actually where his his daughter lives, Linda Williams, but he's continued to preach through Facebook 
you could go to Preacher Roy Ministries, and he preaches every week to several hundred people. But here's the good news of the gospel. This is a guy who didn't get saved until he was 28 years old. 70 years later, he talks about eating properly, getting enough rest, exercising, and keeping his body in good condition. He had to retire because of macular degeneration at the age of 98. He said, I just got to the point where I couldn't keep getting shots in every eye every year for the past 10 years. He said to the pastor in Texas, I couldn't see people. I mean, I could see, but I couldn't really identify them. I'd be trying to do a funeral, for example, and I couldn't read the scripture. So basically now what I do when I preach is I just go with everything that I've got from memory. Well, that's remarkable enough for a 98-year-old pastor to just now be thinking about giving up preaching. But it's what he did last month that really made headlines at his advanced age. All I can say is up, up, and away. We'll talk about the skydiving 98-year-old preacher coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this Movie Monday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Barsh, and as I mentioned earlier, we're doing a slightly different take on Movie Monday. Uh, we are giving you the opportunity to win tickets to a concert. Yes, a real live in-person concert where you get to see Bill Gaither and the Gaither Vocal Band and a, a variety of different other Gaither musicians. So my thanks to Kevin Williams, the guitarist, for 30 years now with the uh, Gaither group and uh, talking about the performances. By the way, I do did mention earlier, if you are listening on KCBC right now, uh, your date for the show is Thursday the 16th in Fresno. Um, there, we don't have tickets for that day that we're giving away, but we do for the Southern California shows, and hence the Movie Monday Connection giveaway. One pair each for the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday show, and they're all in different cities. And the, basically, here's the deal. You call Crystal at 800-227-5278 and say, I would love to win tickets. We put your hat in the drawing, or your name in the hat for the drawing. And then, basically, we're giving the tickets away based primarily on proximity. I mean, just to be fair, somebody in Palmdale wins tickets for the San Diego show or somebody in San Diego wins tickets for the Pasadena show. We're trying to make sure that you are getting the tickets for the show that is closest to where you are. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, again, the shows are coming up on Friday night, uh, March the 17th at Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena. Saturday night, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, Big Calvary, uh, right down the street from the Bottom Line Show studios here at KBRT. And then on Sunday, it's off to Shadow Mountain Church, uh, David Jeremiah's church, uh, for a wonderful time on the Sunday the 19th. So we look forward to seeing you there. Hey, some final thoughts here. I've been talking about earlier about this, uh, the skydiving pastor, as he's referred to. Uh, this is a guy who has, I mean, amazing, Roy Jernigan, uh, 98 years young, went skydiving in North Carolina about a month or so ago to celebrate his 98th birthday, 52 years in ministry. This is, a, well, 52 years in ministry and then another 18 years in pulpit, uh, 70 years as a Christian. And the fact that he moved to Texas about a year ago to be closer to his daughter, she lives in LaGrange, but then headed back to North Carolina for his skydiving experience. And I love the fact that he's got such a great outlook on life, of course. Um, the fact I mentioned earlier that he's, he's got macular degeneration and he had been getting 
shots into each eye for the past 11 years. And he said, I, I finally had to leave uh, the, the pastorate because I just couldn't see the text anymore. So, I mean, he, when he does a funeral or a wedding, he's preaching literally from memory because he can't see. But, um, you know, the, the basically said he wanted to glorify God by jumping out of an airplane. He said, you know, I, I kind of gave it to the Lord and I said, here's the deal. I'm not trying to prove anything, but Lord, if I can give you glory out of this and you will give us the weather and everything is just right to do this, I'm going to do it. If it's a bad weather day, I'm going to know, know that from you, it was a no-go. He said, I prayed about it every day. And then even though he, uh, he fought off COVID-19, he said God protected him from getting sick at the height of the pandemic, even though there were lots of church members who wound up losing their lives. But I'll tell you what, this guy who said the biggest challenge in his life was losing his wife, Lizzie, back in 2011. Other than that, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Isn't it nice to know that whether you're Bill Gaither at age 87, he'll be turning 87 this month on the road, or Roy Jernigan at age 98, as long as we have breath, we have every opportunity to praise the Lord, and what an encouragement that is. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. We've got Rabbi Schneider discovering the Jewish Jesus coming your way. For those who remain on the network, um, first visit for 2023 with Dr. George Barna, the Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. We're going to get into the 2023 edition of the American Worldview Inventory and some fascinating statistics. We've heard from a lot of churches, a lot of Christians who said, hey, my faith got stronger during the pandemic. Churches that were you know, kind of teetering, are now doing a lot better, or so we're told. But what kind of condition spiritually is America in on the whole? Not just Christians who profess faith in Christ, but then have a biblical worldview. Uh, that number has gone down. And Dr. Barnes is going to give us the good, bad, and the ugly coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, today on the bottom line, we have a very special guest to talk about a very unfortunate subject and uh, the unfortunate subject is something that we know has been happening for a while but we, it's situation that's gotten a little more dire dr george barna is the founder and the lead researcher director of research at the cultural research center at arizona christian university he puts out the american worldview inventory several times a year and this is our first installment of the american worldview inventory for 2023 even though it's march it's happy new year to george barna george welcome back to the bottom line show well, thank you. I feel like I'm a little behind the times with that greeting. But. <laughs> well, I, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, did you see any good concerts? Did you pick up any new instruments since the last time we spoke? Uh, I don't know if last time we spoke, I had been to the Joe Bonamassa concert. Oh, uh, oh, wow. How was that? Uh, it was great. Center, second row seats. It was nice. beautiful. It was a great nice. night. Nice. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love somebody of that era who interprets other people's work so well i mean you know it's interesting you know when you're labeled a prodigy at such a young age and and then it doesn't not turn out that you're the big star he really has forged a good career for himself hasn't he, he he's done a great job and um you know every album he puts out winds up being number one on the blues chart so yeah yeah you know, like blues he's and particularly uh hot guitar he's the guy now you don't be modest i know you've played with him before right i mean i'm sure you've 
done a couple of club dates or something like that. Were you in the I corner, dark his, glasses? His, yeah. I put his CDs on and I get my bass out and I play. <laughs> you mean like the rest of us? Okay. Yeah, Fair enough. Yeah, Fair enough. All in the same band. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, I have a feeling, and I there's a method to my madness. We always talk music before we get into this because it's kind of a nice launching point. I get the sense that there have been some people who profess faith in Christ, have been going to church for a long time, who are beginning to realize that maybe, just maybe, they've been air guitaring at home along with somebody else's faith, but they haven't really made it their own in the sense that now the biblical worldview study that you're putting out says, hey, you know, that uh, that benchmark that was even from three years ago has changed. Tell us where we were in terms of how many Christians, quote unquote, have a biblical worldview and what your new research has indicated. Uh, first, let me give you credit. That was the most unique bridge between <laughs> what we were talking about first and now going into biblical worldview. Nobody else has come close to that. So well, thank you. you, my friend. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, back in 2020, what we discovered is that among uh, all adults in America, 6% had a biblical worldview. We found at that time there were about another 25% who were in a category we called emergent followers. They didn't quite have a biblical worldview, but they had a lot of biblical principles that they embraced. And so there was hope that if they kept growing, they might get there. Uh, that, that group was 25%. And back in 2020, the bulk of the population were people in the emergent, or, I'm sorry, the uh, world citizens category where we had uh, 69% who fit that categorization. Mm -hmm. Those are people don't have a biblical worldview. Some of them might have one or two things about the Bible that they buy into, perhaps accidentally, but uh, they're, they're really not on the track. So when we look at what's happened in the intervening three years, this is our first post-lockdown survey, if you will, in this tracking process, where every three years we look at the big national picture. And what we find is that we've dropped from 6% in 2020 to 4% in 2023. Not a big drop, might even be attributable, attributable to uh, statistical error in the measurement process. There's mm -hmm. no way of knowing that. But certainly it's not moving in the direction we had hoped it might. So from 6% down to 4 with the emergent followers, we went from... Uh, you know, where they were 25% before, now they're 14% mm. and cut almost in half. That's mm -hmm. very disturbing to me yeah. because that was our, our platform for growth. And what we've seen is just the opposite. It's become a platform for demise. And of course, what that means is that world citizens have gone from 69% up to 82%. Mm. They've expanded. So Roger, this is almost counterintuitive. You would think during that three-year period of time where we had more time on our hands to read the Bible, to talk to people about faith, to explore online and, and visual video resources related to faith, that people would have been doing that as they were searching for answers. We know that they were looking for answers because they were frustrated and things were changing. They didn't understand it. And yet, apparently, they've decided not to get those answers from the Bible. You know, it's fascinating talking with Dr. George Barnett today here on the bottom line, this at, uh, first installment of the American Worldview Inventory for 2023. 
um, which is up at the bottom line show.com. Just looking at the numbers and kind of being a numbers guy, when you see that we had 31% of your respondents in 2020, either were what you call integrated disciples, in other words, have a biblical worldview, or emergent followers. You know, they're they're growing, they're getting deeper, they're almost there. Then to see that fall to four and 14, which is 18%. That dramatic shift, and to see that the majority of them became world citizens, it's it's mind-boggling. And I say this anecdotally, George, but I think you can attest to this as well. We have conversation on the Bottom Line Show with many ministry leaders all throughout the course of the year, from through the Bible, in touch, uh, leading the way, et cetera, et cetera. And every single ministry to a person has reported that the last three years have been their biggest years in terms of listener engagement, their biggest years in terms of viewer engagement, their biggest years in terms of dollars donated to the ministries. I mean, they're having record years. So I, I, it's kind of a both-and situation, George Barna, but what what do you take from that? I mean, I'm seeing on the one side, a lot of the ministries that you'd said people would probably want to utilize are being utilized in record numbers. At the same time, though, people are falling away. Is it that the people who are growing stronger in their faith or utilizing the resources? Well, you know, I mean, that what you just said actually is even scarier to me because what it suggests to me is, okay, if people have taken the time, they have been exposed to the content, and they've decided to walk away from the faith mm -hmm. in essence, what that suggests to me is, well, we must be delivering the wrong content. And so we've got to rethink perhaps what does it take to create a disciple? I mean, I know from, you know, the last couple of decades of research we've been doing with pastors that there's a lot of confusion in pastoral circles about what constitutes success. And, you know, I have this phrase that I always use when I'm teaching students, you get what you measure. And what that says to me is, well, if we've been delivering the content People have been exposed to it, they've taken it in, and they haven't grown spiritually, then maybe, and, and yet we think we're doing a great job. Maybe we're measuring the wrong things. Mm -hmm. I know from the research with pastors that one thing that happens is that if they are successful at transmitting information, they tend to think, yes, I'm making disciples because I'm giving good information, and people were there to absorb it. And yet we're not looking at the, the back end of the equation, which is, yeah, but what's being produced? And uh, that's kind of what I measure, is what are we producing here? And so when we look at biblical worldview and we find that that's on the decline, suggests to me, yeah, we've been probably then successful at transmitting information that has no impact on whether or not people are actually becoming closer to Christ, living more like Christ, thinking more like Jesus, those are the things that we want to look at, and as well as, you know, when Jesus talked about discipleship, he said there were three things. Obey my principles, John 8, uh, you know, love each other, John 13, and produce spiritual fruit, John 15. Uh, in each case, he said that, and he said, you will be my disciples if you do those three things. And so my measures are showing, well, we're really not doing any of those three things, and so maybe we need to reinvestigate how we're trying to make disciples. Well, that's a, a gruesome but uh, honest and sobering reality from Dr. George Barnett today here on The Bottom Line. And George, could I throw in one more John chapter, um, especially when I look at the number in the emergent of the you know 18 to 29-year-olds? Can we go to John 17 also and say Jesus prayed, look, Father, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. 
but protect them while they're in the world. And how many people might go, okay, John Ada got 13 to 15 grand, but 17, no, that could never be. I mean, the only way I'm ever going to survive here is to become like the world. And your numbers are indicating that that's actually happening, even though a lot of younger people are saying, yeah, I'm on fire for the Lord and I'm at my church all the time and whatever. When I saw that 18 to 29 demo and 95% of them fall into the world citizen category. I mean, it's not like you went out to the secular parts of the world and said, let's find out how you feel spiritually. You're talking about people who identify as Christians. Well, actually, I mean, this is data from the entire population, adult population. So it's not just among Christians. Okay. Well, that that I'll, I'll, I'll retract my statement gladly. I mean, with regard to how severe this is, but no, there you go again, George Barnum measuring things inside and outside the church to find out what the culture's like. I mean, you'd think you were director of the Cultural Research Center at some major university or something like that. The fact that you're actually you never, looking at the you culture. never know what could happen. They could lose their mind and hire me. Who knows? But, <laughs> certainly yeah. can. Uh, Dr. George Barnum with me today here on the bottom line. We're looking at the first American worldview inventory study for 2023. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll continue this conversation about how worldview, Christian worldview, biblical worldview among U.S. adults has declined by nearly 33% since the start of the pandemic. And we'll take a look at some steps to reverse course, if you will. That's all coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Dr. George Barnum, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, still biblically jealous about that whole Joe Bonamassa thing, but we, we'll, we'll sort that out later. Um, George, of course, an aspiring bassist, and I'm a perspiring bassist. Um, but we're talking about the brand new American Worldview Inventory here at the Bottom Line Show. Um, the George is the uh, director of research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. And these new numbers uh, that uh, he's released, basically, I, I love the fact that, as I've used this quote regarding how you describe what you do uh, so often recently, we say, look, I measure things. Um, the, will we in pulpit ministry or broadcast ministry need to be able to explain things? You would have thought based on what people were talking about and how many people were saying Waymaker all the time and everything during the pandemic, that we would have seen a big uprising with regard to churches. But then I see Tom Rainer's statistics indicating the church attendance is down by 25%. And then I see your study from the Cultural Research Center about the biblical worldview and how that has declined. One of the things that we were talking about during the break, I'd love for you to circle back around on, George. You talk to people inside and outside the church, and the biggest area of decline that you've seen is people who are basically inside the church. Talk about that. Yeah, they're not only inside the church. When we talk with pastors, they tell us, well, yeah, that group is the backbone of our ministry. Mm. And so we're talking about individuals who are born-again Christians. 
I refer to them in the report as theologically defined born-again Christians, as opposed to self-identified born-again Christians. Mm -hmm. We find that there are a lot of people who call themselves born-again, uh, but they also generally tell us, well, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. What are you talking about? So we use this theologically defined born-again category. These are people who say that when they die, they are completely confident that they're going to spend eternity in the presence of God. They're going to heaven, but only because they've uh, admitted that they're sinners, they've confessed their sins to Christ, they've asked him to be their savior, to save them from the consequences of those sins. So that particular group, you know, it's it's roughly a third of the population in America, 33% currently. When we look at that group, they were the group that had the largest decline in the incidence of biblical worldview. So uh, they're still above the national norm. The national norm currently being 4% among born-again Christians. It's currently at 13%. But that's down from 19% three mm. years ago. Wow. So, you know, given what we were just talking about a few minutes ago about, yeah, maybe more people are watching or attending services. Maybe more people are taking notes. They're, you know, singing the songs. They're doing all the stuff. But the stuff that they don't appear to be doing is digging into God's word, trying to figure out what does it have to do with me? How am I doing in terms of following his principles, obeying his commands, doing the things that Jesus said, disciples do this. You want to be a disciple, do this. And again, this is one of the things that in another study that I'm working on right now, we're finding that churches don't measure this. Mm. You get what you measure. So if you measure attendance, yeah, you get people showing up, and you do what it takes to get them to show up. But if you measure, are people becoming more Christ-like? That's a very different series of measurements that churches typically do not engage in. You know, they'll say, well, yeah, but we got a lot of people giving. We have a lot of people going to small groups. Yeah, but are they transformed by those processes, and are they being transformed in a way that they're then turning around and being able to transform the world around them for the glory of God, for the advancement of his kingdom. That's the kind of fruit that Jesus also said, you want to be my disciples, produce spiritual fruit. Right. And so that's why we need to measure those very things. If you are attending a church right now that has an equal mix of young and old, if you look at the statistics here that we'll put up at the bottomlineshow.com, we always link up George's reports, um, and look at the number of the percentage of people that they surveyed uh, who are what he would consider integrated disciples, that, you know, having a biblical worldview. When you see that the baby boom generation, 65 and up, has 8%, which is still terrifying that it's less than 1 in 10, but then all the way down to now you've got the Gen Z crowd that's at 1%. I mean, do, is it any wonder, George Barner, that our culture is in such decline right now? And at the same time, we see a movie like Jesus Revolution show up. And I wonder, for many people, is that kind of a revival type of thing, or is that more of a nostalgia type of thing? Uh, probably a bit of both, you know, but but I would caution people about all the news reports regarding the revival activities. It's exciting stuff, and I pray that it spreads like wildfire. But we got to remember what's happening is that this is a small number of people in a few geographically isolated areas. I'm not putting it down. It's important. And this is how things start. But what we want to look at is the fruit of these things. Right. 
not just the attendance numbers, not the excitement that it wells up within us. It's great stuff. And I, I thank God for, you know, what he's doing there. But let's not say, oh, yeah, revival's broken out. No, I mean, there's been some really, really cool stuff in a few places. Hopefully it will break out in much larger numbers. But let's be level-headed and rational about this. Let's not jump to conclusions and say, great, that's done. Now we can move on to something else. You know, right. uh, from my perspective, looking at the big picture and looking at averages, which is what we do, you know, I mean, the needle hasn't moved yet. So we, we've got to wait until we see, is this really going to bear fruit? That's what real revival does. You know, I was talking with George Barnett today here on the bottom line about the brand new American Worldview Inventory for 2023, the first of these reports that's up at thebottomlineshow.com. As I watched the I watched the sermon from the young man at Asbury who preached and then walked off the stage and then I reportedly texted his wife. He goes, well, I whiffed again. I'll be home soon. You know, he wasn't he didn't really feel it was a great message. And I, I couldn't disagree with him. It was pretty flat. But I watched these young people confessing their sins, repenting of their sins and things of that nature. And the first thought that I had, and maybe this is, I don't want to be too heavy handed, but first thought I had was, I wonder how many times these young people in the guise of, I go to a Christian college and I you know, confess my faith in God all the time. I wonder if this is the first time many of them had actually even repented or thought of repenting of sin, which of course is the hallmark of who we are as Christians, which feeds back into your your study notes, George Barna, about the fact that we've got a lot of young people who've been taught how to do church a certain way, but maybe have never had a real face-to-face encounter with the living God. I mean, how, how, how does does that kind of line up with where you're measuring things right now? Yeah, very much. And, and you know, this, this whole issue that we just talked about a couple of minutes ago about born-again Christians. So these are people who have said the prayer, they believe that Christ is in their heart, and, and that they've got eternity sewn up. But that's not the end of the story, folks. I mean, that's the first step in this transformation process. Right, right. And so now the issue is, yes, are you so fully repentant that you're a transformed person? People can watch you and say, whoa, there's something really different about George or whoever. You know, are, are, are you spending your money differently, your time differently? Are you reading things differently? Are you looking at the culture differently? Are you investing yourself in people's lives differently? I mean, there are all these kinds of questions about, yeah, you've got your fire insurance paid for, but so what? How is that translating into now you are a spiritual warrior on the warpath for the kingdom of God, trying to bring love to people who haven't experienced God's love in this way that you're able to share with them and hopefully infect them with? I mean, that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're looking to measure. Dr. George Barna is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, the Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. We're taking a look at the American Worldview Inventory, the first chapter from 2023, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. George, only about 60 seconds left. What is your hope? A pastor's going to open this up in his email box and say, oh my goodness, and then they'll hear our conversation and say, yikes, we've been measuring the wrong things. What is your hope for people in ministry who will see this and say, maybe it's time for us to course correct a little bit? Yeah, uh, the hope would be that they won't simply say, well, that's the other churches. That's not my church. My right. church is the other. I hear that all the time when we do these studies. And, and so I'm asking, I mean, go deep with this. Figure out, can you measure what's going on? I mean, we've got a tool we're about to launch for churches that will help them measure worldview. Uh, that's one way. There are a lot of other ways that you can do it, a lot of other things you need to be doing. 
but don't sit back and say, yeah, I think things are moving really well now. Our attendance is up, revival's breaking out in different parts of the country. You know, people are coming back to church now that the lockdown's done. Now, I mean, that, that, none of those really are the measures of what's God doing through you, around you, in you. We, we, we can't be complacent. This is a time when we've got to really be very serious, but real logical about what's happening. I feel that sometimes in the church world, we're not very logical. Yeah. Yeah. Theoretical and anecdotal as opposed to logical and, and practical. And uh, this, this is a resource that uh, actually does help in so many practical ways. And we'll look forward to having you back on the program to talk about the resource that you're putting together for churches as well. Dr. George Barna, the director of research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, talking about the American Worldview Inventory for 2023. It's uh, The first installment is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And the good news is there's more of this report coming our way all throughout the course of the year. And we'll have those uh, regular updates with Dr. George Barna as well. George, it's good to have you back on the program. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Good to see you again, my friend. Well, my friend, thank you for being with us today. Dr. George Barna, the uh, director, founding director of research at the Cultural Research Center at the uh, Arizona Christian University. The American Worldview Inventory is fascinating. But what makes this even more interesting for me, by the way, it's up for free at thebottomlineshow.com, is the fact that they've been doing this now. This is the fourth year they've been releasing it. And so taking the information from 2020, comparing it to 2023, it gives us a rather accurate, if not sobering reminder of how far we have drifted in this culture with regard to uh, biblical literacy. Uh, by the way, if you've not signed up yet for the American Worldview Inventory, it's absolutely free. We'll have a link for Arizona Christians' site up at thebottomlineshow.com, and you can start getting these reports as well. And that way, when Dr. Barna comes on each month, you can follow along with us at home. Some final thoughts in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. My thanks again to Dr. George Barna, the Director of Research at Arizona Christian University's Cultural Research Center. The American Worldview Inventory 2023 edition is now available, and the first report just came out, and we had a conversation about it. The long and short of it is when you move from the baby boomers down to Generation Z, the, num the percentage of the population that identify as Christian and hold a biblical worldview goes from 8% to 1%. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you had a conversation with someone saying, well, you know, we need to do this because America is a Christian nation. I'm going to break it to you bluntly, 
but gently. Okay, America is not a Christian nation. America is not. It may have been a nation founded on biblical principles, and it may have been a nation that actually lived according to godly values. And you and I grew up in a time when the Bible was the standard and people told the truth and said what they meant and meant what they said, and people who didn't were the counterculture and outside of the norm. But an interesting thing has happened over the past five decades, the past 50 years, and that is America is no longer a Christian nation. It doesn't mean that our church witness is not effective. If anything, against the dark backdrop, our bright diamonds are going to shine even brighter. The nuggets of truth the pearls of wisdom. But can we finally collectively, not defeatedly, but collectively finally put to rest this idea that we just have to get America back to, it ain't coming back, brothers and sisters. And here's the reason why I'm so passionate about this. Because the point was never to say, okay, we're in the U.S., this must be heaven. Heaven is with the Lord. Now, we will get a new heaven and a new earth, and we're, boy, wait till we're, completely sinless, and it's only God's people inhabiting everything God wants us to inhabit, that world is going to be fantastic. But as for right now, brothers and sisters, we are strangers, we are aliens. All those things they told us, that the scriptures tell us, that we learned when we were kids and in junior high and stuff like that, they they weren't lying to us. That was really true. Only now, it's just so in your face. I know it's, it's daunting, but that's okay. Take heart. Ask yourself, weigh carefully how you want to act, how you're going to be strategically effective for the kingdom. We're not going to win every political battle. We're not going to elect a Christian Supreme Court. We're not going to have a Christian president anymore that's going to click our heels three times and make all the problems go away. But how do we reflect Christ against this new backdrop where, quite frankly, it's a lot easier for people to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven? That's the bottom line.